0: This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, and you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app.
1: You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming on Apple Podcasts,
2: Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at DCAUreview.com. Now, here's today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 135 of the DCAU Review. I am this Cal, and with me is my good brother and good friend, Liam. Liam, welcome to episode 135 of the DCAU Review.
3: That's right, Cal, and we have another episode of Batman the Animated Series to talk about today. Very excited to get into it, but we're not alone this week, Cal in fact we have without a doubt i think uh, uh, just an awesome awesome guest or as we like to call them here our special correspondents that being the director of the very episode we're reviewing today uh, off balance we have mr kevin altieri with us kevin welcome to the show
2: thanks Glad to be here. <laughs> We're excited to have you on the program here, Mr. Al Terry, and um, excited to get your insight. As Liam said, uh, now this obviously isn't the only episode that you directed. There's there's honestly a, a who's who of episodes that you uh have credit for directing including uh on leather wings heart of steel which uh you know we we talked about before we went on the air here liam and i both loved and gave that very high marks in our archives at dcaureview.com uh but uh this episode is interesting because it actually links to another episode that you got to cover or that you ended up directing later on so we're very excited to have you on here for this episode uh Thanks for thanks for joining us, and we look forward to hearing your insight.
1: Oh yeah, no problem.
2: Uh, my pleasure.
1: I'm I, I, uh, number one thing is I'm as much of a fan of cartoons as anyone else, except <laughs> I've just been at it a lot longer than you guys.
2: <laughs> and well, we're excited to hear any and all wisdom that you can give and impart on us this uh, this day that we have you on here. So thanks again for joining us. Yeah. Um, I, I guess before we get into the actual episode itself, uh, we'll 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 ask you. I have a two-part question. The first is: so you're credited with directing here. We also know that you did some story uh, storyboarding for Batman the Animated Series. You yeah. you have a lot of credits to your uh, to your to your name as far as different animation is concerned. I you know you've done stuff with the Real Ghostbusters and GI Joe and uh, uh, Stripperella, Spiderman. Like you you kind of have a a who's who of what you've done. So can you explain to me and Liam just what does an animation director do maybe as opposed to the director of a of a live action film and how did you get into the business
1: um well uh direct i mean i'll talk about me as a director um and and actually i can talk a little bit about how i got into the business like i got into the business i was doing um storyboards and uh like set design and uh prop design for a live-action movie in the 80s for all, like, movies like Robot Jocks and, uh, you know, (laughs) Megaforps and uh, The Stuff and, um, you know, just, just like, a lot of special effects movies, Charlie Band movies and things like that. Um, So, and I worked with the Kyoto Brothers and, you know, so I would design and with Dave Allen, stop-motion effects. So I did Mm -hmm. a lot of that's kind of like where I was first getting into movies. And then from there... I got into animation at Deke. Um, And the thing about me getting into animation is I'm like, from when I was a little kid, I was a huge, not only was I like a fan of like, uh, what would you, uh, God, you know, like the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, like Space Ghost and Johnny Mm -hmm. Quest. I was a huge, huge, I mean, I would, I would actually go up onto the roof of the house in Connecticut (laughs) and Physically move the antenna so that it would pick up PIX from Igor, you know, and then I'd crawl back down, you know, and I had a fear of heights too. What a fan I was! And um, and then I was a super fan from when I was a kid of Japanese animation, like Astro Boy, and um, especially Eighth Man. You okay, know, those cartoons. So I was really familiar with. Uh, I was a big fan of Japanese animation. Mm-hmm. And when Deke came into Los Angeles, um, I watched Inspector Gadget and I saw that they were doing working with Japanese animation studios. Mm -hmm. So when I got over to Deke, that was like my first animation job. Um, I literally walked in the door when they were setting up offices and said, Hey, you guys looking for storyboard artists or, you know, artists? (laughs) And they said, Hey, can you draw? And it's like, Yeah. And I had my special effects storyboards. And they said, yep, can you start now? I said, can I go home and take a shower first? <laughs> so, and that's how I got into it. But without knowing it, I was a huge Miyazaki fan. Because mm-hmm. I would buy, like, the film books of, at that time, he hadn't done Nausicaä yet, I don't think. But I had no knowledge of Nausicaä. But I was a big fan of Lupin Third. I didn't even know it was called Lupin the Third because the books were all in Japanese, <laughs> and I had no idea who Miyazaki was. All I knew is like this: this artist is uh, a brilliant master um, director, especially with like limited resources, which is kind of the key to Japanese animation. So when I was working at Deke, I was working with Japanese directors, and they really liked me because I boarded. In the Japanese style which was how you know that because that's the all that's the only you know storyboards (laughs) animation samples that I really had at that time
4: sure
1: anyway but I was a big fan and uh, so now to answer the question what does the director do I'll say this I me Dan Reba all of us Brad Rader all of us that started you know Mike Gogan too all of us that started at Deke, we all learned um, we were doing storyboards and we were working with very good um, studios in Japan. Mm -hmm. So we learned to direct in the Japanese style. And generally, a Japanese director is the guy who, even if he doesn't do all of the storyboards, he does a lot of the storyboards. And that's kind of where the director starts. Gotcha. And director of animation, and and there'll be a lot of like back there in the '80s, especially. Um, there were a lot of people at Disney and places getting credit as director, where all they're doing is sheet timing,
4: mm.
1: which is another part of the business. You know that is another, mm. but it's like they the union called them timing directors. They would okay. shorten it to "I'm a director." <laughs> <laughs> and they would get director credit right up front, you know. Gotcha. So the credit is director, but for me, a director is—you um, take the script, and then you number one, you're you're the person that takes the script, you interpret it into visual style,
4: mm-hmm.
1: um, and you make those all those choices. You work with a crew. And that's another misconception. Like you'll see, and I won't name names, but you'll see, you know, like a name on a cartoon,
4: mm-hmm.
1: so-and-so's blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, don't, it's like, no, it's not one guy. There's like <laughs> right. a huge crew. There is like a lot of people behind that person. And so the animation director kind of, if you were a painter, you know, the layout, the, uh, the storyboard artists, the designers, the character designers, the background designers, the script, those are all part of your palette that you're going to make your painting with. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a clear understanding of every step of the way. And one of the great things about working at Deke is that there was so much that had to be done so fast on the Saturday because we were cranking out like a Saturday morning cartoon a week.
4: You wow! Know.
1: Yeah, yeah there, there's <laughs> ways to do it, but it was it wasn't the miracle that it sounds like. It right. was actually a very uh, tried and true method that they did.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, the thing is, if you're the director, especially at a place like Deke, you have to dive in when there isn't enough character designs or the character design isn't getting done. You jump in and you do it. The layouts, if the layouts come in looking like crap you got to jump in and work on, bring it up to snuff, you know,
4: mm-hmm.
1: unless you don't care.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. you come somebody who doesn't care about their work. I'm just going to say that because yeah. a lot of these episodes that you, that you uh, directed are, are some of the best from the entire series. So, uh, you know, the, your, your work and, and whatever part that you ended up playing, albeit, you know, whether it was all of it or none of it you, you these episodes are great so um okay. you know it's clear that you care about your work and the quality of oh, the yeah. work no yeah. doubt
1: well i have like a i am cursed and <laughs> you see the problem is is like it's it's a curse and it's a blessing at the same time
2: it's like batman
1: yeah it's a curse blessing
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's, you heard it, it. here hear first folks kevin altieri actually batman <laughs>
1: No, No, it's like, the thing is, is like, I actually care about the
2: characters. Well, that's very, very cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for the education for us and for anybody who's listening uh, about what the, uh, what the the role that you played as, as director of this episode did. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one follow-up question we had
3: and seeing that we are talking about Batman, the animated series today, uh, just, just out of curiosity, what was your sort of first exposure to the Batman character? Character, were you a fan oh. of the comics as a kid, or was it the Adam West show, or kind um, of, what was your first exposure to the character?
1: I remember, um, like I was born, my like my family's from from Maine, like the uh, the Irish, the Irish, Scottish, you know, <laughs> half of the family is from Maine, and the Italian half is from Connecticut, and that's where I grew up was in Connecticut. But we would mm-hmm. make long trips back then; it'd be like an eight-hour car trip to go up. My, my family's from, like, Stephen King country. It's not, okay. <laughs> it's not from, you know, where it's all, you know, it, it's it's like out in the middle of nowhere. Way out there. Way up, way up in the backwoods. You know, places like where Jerusalem's lot are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. No, no, no offense to people in Maine. It's like I love Maine. <laughs> anyway, right. but we would do these big, long car trips. And I remember um, we would, uh, my mom... And Dad, like, we stopped at, like, a Howard Johnson's or something for breakfast, and uh, they bought me this uh, book to read on the trip. And it was, you know, it was a little paperback book, and it was, like, Batman, starting with the Bill Finger, you know, Bob Kane origin story. Wow. And and then had Jerry Robinson's and Dick Sprangs in it, and it was all black Mm -hmm. and white. But that was, like, my introduction to Batman. And from then on, I would buy the Batman comics. But of course, I was also really, really into the um, into the uh, uh, the Adam West show when it came mm-hmm. on. That was the right Age. I was like, I think right. I was six or seven when it came on. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. You know, it was, it was just it was wacky and goofy, but <laughs> I loved. It. Absolutely. The only, the only complaint I had was when uh, Cato showed up and Burt <laughs> Warren Bruce Lee or pacing off and I'm like no 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 that was <laughs> <him." laughs> just taken his head off he <laughs> Cato okay. no no bert ward couldn't take Cato. nothing not. against bruce. he's a great guy and you know what he was actually he was a true mar- martial artist he was a judo guy
2: but he's no, no. bruce lee though we know he's that. not no no <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, as uh, as we already mentioned, we are discussing today Off Balance, which is another episode that you directed, um, and uh, I'm excited to get into talking about this with you today. So before we get into the actual review, where we'll give our scores and our breakdown of the actual episode itself, and uh, Kevin, you've been nice enough to uh, be our, since you're our special correspondent this week, you're going to chime in with your own personal scores for our categories, which we'll go over in just a minute. Uh, But before we do, uh, we always like to intro the episode with the imdb synopsis <laughs> well usually because they're sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're really bad because they're fan sourced they're like they're like anybody can write them
1: yeah no imdb's idea of who i am is like crazy <laughs> it,
2: it really really is it, it, when when we're looking up you, i mean it's a terrible website you can't even get most of the information that you need for about somebody no. uh, on there so uh i totally agree but nonetheless we're going to have Liam read the IMDb synopsis for this week's episode in his best announcer voice. Liam? Go for
3: it. All right. And this is for the episode Off Balance, which was written by Len Wine, directed by Kevin Altieri, with music by Mark Koval and Michael McQuistian, and animation by Sunrise. And that synopsis reads as such. Bat- Batman teams up with the mysterious Talia to retrieve a prototype weapon from the supervillain Vertigo. All right, that's, that's a pretty good one.
2: That's yeah, kind of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think we can just go to talk about the episode here. Let's <laughs> that,
3: that, wrap it up. The potatoes version.
1: Before you guys get into it, I'll say that this was when I first started on Batman. One of the things was um, the caveats that I had to take the job was I asked Bruce and Eric and um, Alan Burnett that when Rachel al Ghul shows up, <laughs> I'm doing
2: racial ghoul.
3: Wow.
1: Nice.
2: That was, so, yeah, that this, was actually that's, a question I was going to ask you.
1: Yeah. This was actually the very first time because I, again, I mean, going back to getting into Batman, when I really got into Batman,
4: mm-hmm. was
1: when Neil Adams took over. For
4: sure.
1: Yeah. yeah and, and Denny O'Neill, I think Denny O'Neill may have been writing Batman's before that, but anyway, but that team of Denny O'Neill and, uh, Neil Adams just that that was my Batman.
2: And when Rachel
1: Ghoul showed up, I was like, this is Batman's Moriarty. It's (laughs) not the joke. This is like another, this, this was another level of villain.
2: I love it. Absolutely.
1: So it's like so when Rachel Ghoul showed (sighs) up, it it was it was already agreed that I would do it. Um, I was supposed to be doing Day of the Samurai, Mm -hmm. but they gave me this one because all of a sudden they realized, oh it's racial racial ghouls here now <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like we got to hold up our hand to the bargain we got we got yeah. kevin on board but we got to give him race well as yeah. as kevin has so so uh, already alluded to this is sort of the introduction here now of course it's just a sprinkling of race in this episode the the meat and potatoes of the episode of itself is we we open up in gotham and batman is uh, speaking to a kind of an informant uh, standing on top of what looks to be like the the statue of liberty now
0: i've been waiting I don't know what Nico wanted to meet here for anyway. He didn't, Twitch. I did.
3: You? You tricked me. What what, what do you want?
0: Information. On the Society of Shadows. Word is they've started operating here. Tell me all about them.
3: Hey, there ain't that much to tell. I mean, I only worked for them, okay? Not with them.
2: It'll have to do. Now talk. So I, that's where my first question comes in, Kevin. Now, we there's been sort of allusions as to where Gotham City is or was, but this looks like it pretty much confirms that we're in New York City based on this being. No, 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 no
1: it's Gotham City. <laughs> but obviously, you see, Batman, it's modern, but it's a different mm. Earth.
4: There you go. This is like nah.
1: It's like this is where there are still prop-driven aircraft and all that. Mm-hmm. And there you go. So. So it's the it's Gotham in my mind I always thought that like the Dark Deco City is on Manhattan Island in Mm -hmm. another reality.
4: Okay. Yeah. All they
1: never go to New York. I don't think we ever talk about New York or California. No,
2: there's More one illusion, fantasy. there's there's one scene in one of the episodes, I think it's in Joker's favor, where somebody has a license that says, it says Gotham City, New York, or something like that, on the license, but that was a, wow. you know, could have been a creative decision or that storyboard decision.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. You heard it right the,
1: here. in prison, and he's making
2: license plates? No, uh-huh. it's the Dark Deco State. There you go, right. love it. Love you heard it right. here first. From one of the cre- one of the guys that was in charge of this stuff, he said it here. So, uh, there you have it. So, as we see this, uh, the Statue of Liberty and Batman is, is talking to this informant. Suddenly, a couple of members of the Society of Shadows appear here uh to confront batman and prevent this gentleman from kind of spilling his guts kevin do you have any memories or thoughts about why they didn't go with league of shadows and they went with society of shadows
1: um i really don't know but i do remember that that was changed in the script um i I remember seeing there was there was like probably oh there was probably some sort of a copyright reasoning behind that but mm-hmm.
2: we always know. assume it's either it's either something like that or standards and practices didn't like that phrase for some reason, like yeah. League of Shadows was too spooky. But Society of Sh- Shadows sounds like it's just a, you know, a fun group of guys yeah. that want to get together on a Saturday. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and dominate the world. Exactly. Right.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, so, guy
2: fun. Stuff, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I also want to say that it, at first glance, it looks like we have three deaths in the scene. But we do. We, we clearly get. We get an explanation later on that right. the guy survived the fall, and that the two guys that uh, took the what appeared to be this like death oath, where their this gas sprays out of their masks and they fall lifeless to the ground. Right? They they <laughs> no. They they're still alive. They just no, wiped no. their minds. They'll
1: broadcast standards. They said make sure you see they can fall into the water. And originally in the in the script. Um, he falls into the, we see him fall into the water. Then they mm-hmm. say, after they see the storyboard and you work with broadcast standards, they go and say, okay, just make sure we see him pop up. <laughs> he sinks immediately, though.
4: <laughs> which, is, which,
1: is not, which the animation studio did. We didn't do that. They just <laughs> had to pop up and disappear. And that got into the final cut. <laughs> wow. So it's so, so. He pops up for a second, and the uh, the guys who, when the gas comes out of their goggles, you know, mm-hmm. um, originally was, they just collapse. And then mm-hmm. they said, no, no, we have to just make sure we see their eyes open. And I'm like, <laughs> I think that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: it is. It's spooky.
1: Yeah, he, they're dead. They look dead. <laughs> I mean, but... <laughs> You know, and it's All like right. I think I think I actually threw in an eye blink that never
2: made it through. There you go. Yeah, yeah they definitely don't blink because that's why I was confused. I was like, "Wow, did we just see three deaths in the opening scene here?" And then <laughs> Bruce's throw, Bruce throwaway line, throwaway line in the next scene where he talks about how the informant survived the fall and, and got away, and the other two guys just wiped their mind as yeah. he's talking to Commissioner Gordon about this uh, Society of Shadows. Uh, so we, we learn that they're, they're after something here, and we soon learn that there's a, a piece of Wayne technology. This, uh, it's, it's sort of a future retro weapon here that's used to destroy things that, uh, that is being shipped through Gotham and appears to be the target for the Society of Shadows.
0: You don't want us to touch the drill, right, Mr. Fox? Not unless you have to. And be careful. It's the only working prototype from our lab in Chicago. And I don't want to be the guy who has to tell Mr. Wayne it broke before we got it to headquarters for the final shakedown. But I thought you said it could be dangerous. Well, it's intended for use in building excavations, oil rigs, and the like. But relax, kid. That gizmo ain't going to hurt nobody as long as Harvey Bullock's...
2: And uh, wouldn't you know it, we have an appearance at that point for our main baddie, who shows up with the society to get this, and that is a one uh, Vertigo. He's not Count Vertigo. He isn't assigning that title, I guess, so it's, it's just Vertigo in this. In he hasn't this, earned uh, that yet. He hasn't earned that title, so to speak. Uh, was, was this, uh, is it safe to say this is the same Count Vertigo from DC Comics continuity? Yeah, yeah
1: okay. it is. It is. Okay. It's obviously the same guy, you know, mm-hmm. no question. Perfect. Uh, this, of course, was our version, and he's accoutred, much more similar to he belongs in the same world as like Rachel Ghoul, sure mm-hmm. so he's naturally wearing a cape and, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and an eye patch too. It's a functional eye patch, but it's an oh, eye yeah. patch. All right, so moving forward here uh, in the story, uh, we, we learn a little bit more. Liam, I'll pass it over to you once so once we get sort of the reveal of Count vertigo. Uh, we also get the, the appearance of this mysterious woman as well. Yeah, we get the
3: the introduction here of Talia. Uh, of course, we find out later is the daughter of Ra's al Ghul. And uh, certainly in the comics and later on in this series will be sort of the one of the only like consistent other than I guess Catwoman, uh, one of the only consistent love interests that yeah. Batman has across the series, like maybe a occasionally we see him at a, at a Bruce Wayne at a party with with a girl or something, but we didn't, we never got like a Vicki Vale on, on the show, which, uh, which I think is fine. But uh, for lack of a better term, I do think that it introduces a unique uh, element from a story perspective, because you have a woman who of course, later on develops this romantic relationship, but is also just physically and, and mentally a match for Batman in a way that not many of his other foes are. And when you add in the fact that they, begin to develop these feelings for each other. Uh, I think that really adds, a, that character adds such an interesting dynamic to the show.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. no, that's, that's, uh, Talia is the love of Bruce Wayne, Batman's life. And mm-hmm. that, so it's, it's Bruce's, that is his true love. She is, um, I know things have been reinvented, but that's,
4: mm-hmm.
1: it's like, that's the only kid he's ever had is, with right. you know, and he says so later on in avatar he says the only thing we've ever you know your father and i have ever agreed on is our love for you
2: there you go
1: doesn't say that to selena kyle he doesn't say mm-hmm. it to him, but he but he does say it to her
2: sorry catwoman shippers you heard it here from the man himself <laughs> <laughs>
1: love, love, is, is, the, is the lady of his life there you go
2: absolutely yeah i, I-
3: I love the the way the rest of this episode's kind of laid out from a story perspective is one, we, we get out of uh, the traditional Gotham city location and certainly we'll get more into that in our visual section, but, but uh, we go off to this Island. Uh, we get, we get to see sort of Batman first in a forest fighting off these, uh, these society of shadows, thugs with Talia and then sort of avoiding all these death traps as they go through this castle. It's a, very unique environment to where we to where we finally sort of set up this final confrontation. We see bat we get to see Batman and Talia, but both kind of figure out ways around this Vertigo device, which sort of uh, they say emits some sort of radiation, which sort of scrambles your view. And and uh, again, we'll certainly talk more about this in visuals and animation. But and she uh, destroys
2: th- w- Wayne in the meantime too. Oh yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that's uh,
3: that's that's another little small note. She just very <laughs> casually takes takes his mask off to treat some of his wounds after he's knocked unconscious. So again, just putting her on a completely different playing field than really any other foe and, and certainly any other love interests that we've seen to this point.
0: Filthy creature. I've been called worse. What happened to my mask? What have you done with it?
4: Easier to clean your wounds this way.
0: Then you know, you know that I'm...
4: Hush. Who knows what other ears may be listening?
0: Just who are you? What are you doing here?
4: My name is Talia, and I too have business with the Society of Shadows.
0: What kind of business?
4: Personal business, such as I imagine yours must be.
0: Point taken. It's a simple enough lock. I can get it open with my belt.
4: How unfortunate.
0: I appreciate the sympathy, but what we need right now is a lockpick.
4: I know. We make a good team, don't you think? (sighs)
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so she, she already has a, a step up on Catwoman for sure. <laughs> Catwoman, Catwoman never did get that that secret identity reveal as she has maybe in the standard DC continuity comics. So uh, yeah, from there, they, they have to work their way through sort of this death trap, a series of death traps that count Vertigo because in true Batman villain fashion, he can't just kill Batman. He has to leave Batman in what? a way to an escape, right? Yeah. Like, there has to be. He can't, for the story's sake, he can't just kill Batman with a giant destruction machine that he has that he's carrying around. <laughs> he's got to give him the chance to be Batman. And Batman yeah. just, just out-Batmans him. He, just, he figures out <laughs> that if he's able to close his eyes, which is what thro- what's throwing him off with this weapon that Vertigo has, he is able to bypass all the issues.
1: But in this in this episode, it's one of the very few times. And it's like that's kind of like what annoys me is like just what you've been saying. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, Austin Powers, they make fun of it, you know, (laughs) meanwhile, I just turn my back for a minute. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I get the feeling that um, because of the racial ghoul connection and stuff, Vertigo, like they hit he hits he purposely hits the ground underneath Talia and Batman. And they mm-hmm. fall in, th- and they're captured. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they put them in a cell, right? You know? And the Batman doesn't have his uh, utility belt, you know. And they and they've obviously taken the weapons away from Talia. You know, she still has her belt on, but she's not. She doesn't just like blow the lock off. She doesn't have anything. Right. She has mm-hmm. to have a hidden hairpin or whatever <laughs> to lock with. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so. They number one, they weren't expected to just get out and interfere. They're obviously and Talia being part of the gang. Mm-hmm. You know, a rogue part of the gang. They weren't like trying to kill her, probably because of repercussions with Rachel Ghoul. Sure. So the traps are it's like if Batman and Talia just didn't try and follow him, he'd get away, which is sure. the point.
2: Absolutely, right. and if they happen to die by chance, then it's not like they intentionally—they yeah. uh, were responsible for intentionally killing the daughter of the Demon's Head. Yeah.
3: So right, they, and yeah. if, if yeah. Batman—if Batman dies, that quote-unquote easily, then he wasn't worthy of potentially right. being a successor to Google anyway.
1: Yeah, so they're so basically Talia and Batman have the choice; they don't have to follow him.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they don't—they
1: do. And then they encounter the traps. Mm-hmm. because like if if everything's topsy turvy in the room and you're all you know you're off balance, so to speak,
0: <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> you wouldn't you you logically a normal person would go, you know, I'm just going to sit down uh. for a minute and uh, <laughs> I don't trust anything, you know. And then it'd probably turn off after a while, and they've all gotten away.
2: There you go. Well, thankfully Batman realizes closing your eyes helps him a lot. And uh I Ta- I love Talia's reaction response to that as she she thought, he, What do you mean you closed your eyes? Are you crazy? You know, yeah. of course. <laughs> it's a guy dressed up, I mean it's a guy dressed as a bat. You didn't think he was crazy before, but closing your eyes to get through this this death trap is what makes you think he's crazy. All right, cool. And Helen
1: Slater is such a good Talia. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's so good.
2: Yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah, she, she's she is fantastic we will uh we'll definitely dive into her performance as we get in further here as we wrap up here though liam we basically get uh i so this is what i thought of when i saw the ending of this episode so they're in hot pursuit of count vertigo through the clock tower he gets to the top and there are these bells there and uh he turns on the weapon and he's trying to shoot it as he's also turned on his vertigo weapon so talia actually is the one who realizes that she jumps to one of the bells, she can defeat him much like a symbiote can be defeated in a clock tower. (laughs) Like Spider-Man, like Spider-Man defeated the black suit symbiote. She jumps on the bell.
1: They stole it from this episode. (laughs) 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 Venom didn't, (laughs) Venom wasn't around yet, was he?
2: Uh, <laughs> probably would have been a couple years before this If I had to guess I think, oh, okay. I think, oh, I think Secret Wars <laughs> was a couple years before But that's, that's neither here nor there it's, it's not as if comic books don't borrow from each other From time to time it's not, That never happens So, uh, <laughs> But I, what I, the other thing that I will a- ask you Mr. Altieri Is um, we, we in doing some research for this episode There was some speculation that there was some Alfred Hitchcock influence Oh in some of the way that this was, uh, visually presented. It, is that true <laughs> or false? And That's also, no did question. you just, did you just love that the villain's name was Vertigo? So you decided to go that route? Yes. Yeah.
1: No, no, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> there's no question. Um, that this, that was the clock tower, especially, um, Brad Rader and me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like if Brad or I storyboard something, uh, it's almost certain that, uh, Alfred Hitchcock is involved.
2: That's because, awesome.
1: Because we're it's it's just ever since I started watching Hitchcock films as a young man, seriously, it's just ingrained to in you. It's like when I when I got my first year in high school, the library had the uh, Truffaut on Hitchcock book,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and I just studied Hitchcock, even when I couldn't see those films that he made in the twenties and thirties before I could. Sure. I moved out to Los Angeles and I could actually s- see those movies. I would go to the Yale film society and places like that. You know, I would, which was like 50 miles away from the house. And I remember I'd go on my rusty 10 speed and I would like <laughs> <in> <laughs> Yale. And sometimes the film would be over at midnight and I'm like pedaling back home on <laughs> these roads. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So you no, couldn't pitch influence, spot. But- yeah, Hitchcock for is, sure. Is a giant influence.
2: No question. Well, there you go. Well, that that's awesome. Well, uh, Vertigo is ultimately defeated uh, by the clock tower. He ends up jumping out and falling. We assume to his death. We're not sure. He's never seen again. So one could well, assume. He
1: falls into a body of water. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's that's kind of ambiguous. 15 floors down. So yeah, of course he lives.
3: There we yeah. go. I, I, I do like the element of he's screwing. With Batman's uh, one of Batman's senses throughout the whole episode, that being Batman's sight, and then in the end, Batman and Talia, his undoing is they mess with his ears, like they like they yeah. attacked a sense to uh to to best him, and that's kind of what sends him out the uh, fall, falling down to his uh, his incapacitation.
4: I can't take much more of this. Only one thing to do.
0: No.
1: But this was a, it's a Len kind of wrote. It's—it's it's a classic um, Batman ending. It's—it's it's like one of those Dick Sprang, uh, even the well, if you remember uh, the Batman TV show with Adam West. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's like Catwoman's on top of like uh the uh, the bat rate. What the hell that was the reactor, and mm-hmm. she falls in. It's like Catwoman. Of course, she comes back. You know? Right, it's like, or the Riddler is like he he escapes down into this hole, and then all of a sudden the bomb goes off, boom! Do you think he got away? Oh, I don't know. Time only time will tell, old Right, <laughs>
4: you
1: know? so it's like one of those endings. Like, do you think he's dead? I don't know. Yeah, time will tell. Count yeah. Vertigo may be back. <laughs> How oh, did yeah. you? It's like the Red <laughs> hood. How did you survive? Well, I fell into this vat of goo and I came out as the Joker.
2: One that you wouldn't necessarily predict. Uh, So then after, after the count falls to his perhaps demise, we get the reveal that the whole time Talia has been sort of a secret double agent working. uh, And her goal was to get her hands on this weapon. Uh, She ends up taking it. Batman who has since retrieved his utility belt manages to sabotage the weapon before handing it over to her. Uh, She escapes in the, uh, the it's like a helicopter plane. There's like a, Propeller- oh, no, uh,
1: that was that was actually an invention um of me that, that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah that, it's like the, that's the cro- it's like you'll notice like um it's in the racial ghoul technology world
4: mm-hmm. uh,
1: there's always it's like you have they believe in autogyros and things it's like racial ghoul was ahead of his time in developing technologies and stuff Mm-hmm. But if it works, he doesn't get rid of it, so his planes are always like these pusher planes
4: <laughs>
1: and, uh, auto gyros. So the autogyro, and that's like a cross between a GB racer and an autogyro, and a Pi autogyro. Auto there you I go. go. I, just the auto, I just wanted auto gyros. I just wanted autogyros. I just wanted
2: I love, it. I love auto gyros. As the, as the director, it was your job to put it in the script. Yeah. Allow it into the that's show. Awesome. I love it. Love it. So uh, she escapes on the autogyro, and uh, she at that point radios her, who is revealed to be her father. He is unnamed, but we of course know that this is Raish Al Ghul. And uh, she attempts to use the weapon only to find out that Batman bested her. And this seems to impress Raish. Uh, which, of course, will lead to another episode later on that we will cover in the future, uh, where, of course, Rachel Ghoul returns. And I love this, how this ends, Liam, because mm-hmm. it is a little bit of a... It's a foreshadowing, and it's a... Hmm, who is this guy? And what is, what is his motive? How is he going to show back up?
4: that Batman, he sabotaged it somehow.
1: So even in defeat, the detective manages to achieve some small measure. As you said, detective, this is not...
3: It's very much like uh, the end of the first Avengers movie where we just see Thanos kind of look into the camera at the end and let you know, like, something yep. big's coming. Like, this, like if this were in a modern superhero tale, this would be the, the mid credit scene or whatever. And Sorry. I love that as a taste of, like, this was a big adventure for Batman and he won, But there's a lot more bigger stuff coming down down the pipe from from this guy. And I think that's how how it felt to me.
2: Absolutely. Um, So I guess it's it's time now that we've kind of gone through the plot here to talk uh, and we've talked about some of our our favorite parts here. Uh, I love I love the plot of this. So it's funny. I remember watching this as a child and thinking like. I don't know if it was mentally like for some reason ingrained in my head. I feel mentally sick when I think about this episode, just because (laughs) of the dizziness of a lot of it. Um, But so I had this like trepidation when I was watching this like am I going to not like this episode I can tell you that I love this episode it feels perfectly like a Saturday morning cartoon but still authentically Batman the Animated Series it does such a great job of setting up future episodes and letting you know who this character is while alluding to this other character Uh, there's some great Batman action in this we get some not not a ton maybe of, of fisticuffs it's more of Batman using his brain and trying to figure out how to outsmart uh this this seemingly uh, impossible uh weapon to to overcome so for all those reasons i ended up giving plot a nine out of ten liam what Ooh. about you
3: i actually and this is a, a recurring theme on our show uh me and cal often have very similar scores and in fact we have the same as another nine out of ten uh mr altieri what would you what would your score be for the plot on this episode
1: for the plot um, well, there are things that I wanted that I didn't get. Okay. So, but I, but I mean, but I it was actually it was, it was a very good script. It was a very good script. I'd probably agree with you guys though. <laughs> uh, and, and Len Wein is such a good writer.
3: You know? Oh, absolutely.
1: So yeah, I would, I would give it. I I'd, I'd go up there. I'd give it a nine. I'd give All it a right, four. perfect. You know, it could could have been better. There's mm-hmm, things yeah. that I wanted, but
2: fine. Excellent. Well, let's move on to our next category, which is going to be visual and animation. Uh, we've talked some about some things. Uh, Liam, I'll start off with you, and um, and you can certainly throw over to Kevin as we go through here if you, if uh, he has anything to add as well. But uh, what did you like as, as far as the visuals uh, for this and the animation for this episode? I thought I thought before you start, I will say that I thought Batman looked very on model for this this episode.
3: Yeah, that's uh we we talked about that and that's actually something I'd like to get uh Kevin's take on is so no, throughout yeah. the series depending on on the episode Batman may look a little different his ears are a little longer the cowl nose droops a little bit longer is that more due to depending on who was the storyboard artist or director or is that more on the animation studio
1: um it's in this case this is the animation studio
3: okay um,
1: cuz sunrise is um we got involved with sunrise again i was a big huge fan of japanese animation
4: mm-hmm.
1: and um i don't know if you know the work of yazuiko yoshikazu he did uh crusher joe and uh things like that arian um mm-hmm. sunrise films and and dirty pair he worked on dirty pair those are all sunrise productions the animation here goes through sunrise sunrise we didn't get that studio we got jade in china who was like a satellite studio of uh sunrise Mm -hmm. now having said that that batman i think is each studio plays to the strengths of their assets Mm
4: -hmm. and
1: i think this was jade's very first action adventure show they really mm-hmm. wanted the job, obviously, and they were—they actually visited the studio, um, which I don't think they were supposed to do. <laughs> but they were visiting Los Angeles, and they came to Warner Brothers and were walking around. And it's like—and then I—that's when I found out. And I said, "Oh, you know," and they're trying really hard. Mm-hmm. Very—they—they're trying very. This was about their third or fourth episode, I think, that they did of Batman. So he started to get on model. Mm. Um, more so. So this episode actually is like was more solid than many of the other shows that they did. Um, but again, like I'm calling in the special effects in this one,
4: mm-hmm.
1: we're calling for multi effects, and you know, and, and this was back in the uh, the early '90s. So the what we're asking for in the storyboards and what I'm asking for in layout is uh, a lot of things that sunrise can do the japanese studio certainly could do Mm -hmm. jade if you ever go and visit like back then it's like basically it's like a camera over a platen with you know paper on it you know and and just animation cells and they're for them to pull off things was actually kind of miraculous because it's labor intensive you know Mm -hmm. um So I I don't want to affect your, uh, (laughs) your I'll give you my grade, but, um, but they, they are actually a studio trying very hard and they were in way over their heads, Mm -hmm. but they, uh, they pulled it off. So the models, what you see is Batman getting on model is their head Batman animator getting better at it as the show progressed. That makes so sense. he actually he actually did better on this, mm-hmm. and um, he actually did not like Talia. Um, looks like the storyboards. Mm-hmm. They were actually they were actually ve- paying very close attention to the storyboards and kind of slavishly following
3: things. So that's kind of yeah. a long-winded way of answering. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> no, I, no, I loved it. I, I like I said we we. Uh... I was just always curious about that, because even as a kid, I would notice, oh, in this episode, you know, Batman's ears are a little longer, or the uh, cowl nose droops a little lower, or his jaw is a, l- is a little longer and less square, that kind of stuff. So I was, that's honestly been a question I've been waiting to ask someone for, uh, for a very long time. Yeah. So you
1: know, it, it, me- it is. As you, as you guessed, it's like, it does vary from director to director.
3: Mm-hmm. But
1: you'll notice that, like, my shows um, and, like, Dan Reba's shows,
4: mm-hmm.
1: Batman looks kind of the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bruce's shows, he gets a little more stylized, you know, and it's like, that's just because they're following the storyboards. Although Bruce, you know, worked on some of the shows that I, like, he did a whole act of Bane Mm -hmm. was like the board artist. And somehow it looks like my version of Batman more than Bruce's. (laughs) But it was like, <laughs> we're all doing Bruce's version of Batman, anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, Bruce, but Bruce, I think, was like working into the style. You know, when he's just doing a board, he's working into the rest of the style of the show, which is me and Dan and or whoever else was there.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. That, that was makes a, sense. An, yeah, yeah, that was another question I actually had. Was so when you're, you're directing an episode, do you did you generally work with the same people on storyboards, or was it kind of? Yeah, you know, is it it people assigned you, or do you have like your own crew that you were kind of working with?
1: On this show, we we uh, had a crew. Um, On Mm -hmm. this show, I think because there was always like a third or fourth person that um, you there was always like there was always that one person that I was
4: assigned
1: (laughs) that didn't fit (laughs) in. (laughs) (laughs) Like my first, my original crew, like what I picked was um, me. Uh, Brad Rader, uh, Dan Reba, and uh, Mike Gogan. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: And then we picked up another guy from Deke, uh, Mark Wallace. And I think this, because Dan was now directing when I did this episode, so I didn't have Dan anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think I had, uh, this was Brad, Mark Wallace, me, and uh, Mike Gogan. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So that's a pretty solid team. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, and that was kind of how it is. Yeah. You had your crew
4: mm-hmm. and
1: sometimes, you know, like Dan got promoted, like he, you know, I mean, he's, he's a great director. So it's like, I, I couldn't lose him. But when one of the directors left, you know, I think it was Dick Sabast, Dan got mm-hmm. the job, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. So, well, uh,
2: yeah. there are a lot of great visuals in this episode specifically. One of the ones that I thought was just fantastic, which I thought they the animation studio did a wonderful job was was the actual vis- visualization of the Vertigo powers, especially in that very first scene that he shows up on the docks where Harvey Bullock and Lucius Fox are, and the way that the the screen sort of twists and it makes you feel like you're kind of on a like a roller coaster, like you're trapped inside. Like I think this is what caused mm-hmm. me to think that I was not gonna like this episode just. <laughs> like thinking about that <laughs> twirling and swirling oh, of be, the screen the right it's it's so good and and it's, i mean it's it's sort of later on in the episode i i think with uh as batman and talia are walking through the uh through the sort of the the traps it's similar similar looking and again when they're trying to climb up the stairs uh, towards vertigo but seeing that that power visualized was i thought that was unique in the way that they chose to do it with the overlay sort of with the you know the the waves of the power uh, you know coming from his eye there's also a part later uh, later on when they first run into him after escaping the room where his head sort of just appears uh on the screen in a very it it reminded me it was right out of a comic book panel like i could see that like a dick sprang era panel where the the villain's head shows up and you just see the waves coming out of it Uh, I thought those were fantastic and especially a a lot of fun with the way that that Vertigo's powers were visualized
1: yeah that's all done in the storyboards too and again Sunrise was uh, if this went to say TMS uh, the animators at TMS would have done their thing I am -hmm.
4: sure Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm
1: whereas sunrise or jade rather jade studios mm-hmm. they slavishly followed the storyboard yeah. and all of the indications that were written by me and i think that i think the, sec- the first section i think was mark wallace
4: mm-hmm. i
1: think he did all that twisting and stuff like that but mm-hmm. that was all intricately designed and and mm-hmm. cuz i i knew it was going to sunrise and i knew <laughs> they were going to be in over their heads, you know, whoever, whoever was doing the animation. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of geared towards them, you know, it was, so everything was kind of spelled out.
3: Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that's, that, that makes more sense if you're dealing with a more experienced, especially in an action cartoon, as you said, then you can maybe leave a little bit more up to their animation. Whereas with a, a less experienced uh, crew there and maybe less resources, it, yeah, it's, it's uh, and obviously you had the talent on, on the storyboard side to, uh, yeah. To be able to spell that all out for them, but uh, yeah, some of the other visual notes I had, uh, I do uh, as as you mentioned, Cal, the the death traps in in the castle. I like just how quick it is in that fight where Batman gets his belt cut off. Like it's mm-hmm. just a really quick thing where he where he picks he's picking up a guard and he just pulls the knife and slip it off. And of course, we find out you know later on that like these because these aren't your average ordinary thugs. These aren't. You know, the penguins lackeys that he, you know, picked up off the street and tell him go fight Batman like these are professionals and so they're much more equipped to deal with Batman than than your average thug that you, that you might fight on, an, on any given episode. So I, I like being that sort of visualized in that way.
2: Yeah, those those were great as well, um, I think. And I think that final scene where where Talia and Batman have to jump off the stairs and to cling to the there's a great shot of just Talia's hands kind of sliding down the rope. And you see, like, it's, it's like the burning, I guess, off of the rope as her hands are coming down. You see the dust come mm-hmm. off of it. She pulls down and then Vertigo's reaction once the bell starts ringing and just classic Saturday morning cartoon villain, like, you know, grabbing his ears all animated and screaming. <laughs> uh just really really cool we already mentioned about some of the some of the vehicles that are used in the episode are really fun also uh visually it's a it's a very very interesting episode i think some of the colors used also yellow is is used as sort of the visualization of vertigo's power so we get a lot of yellow in this episode he himself his uniform i think is pretty cool Uh, kevin you already mentioned he's got to have the supervillain cape like he's in mm -hmm. that He's in that Ra's ghoul area, so he's got to have the cape. Uh, I also really liked the, the Society of Shadows, the way that they looked as far yeah. as their uniform. You know, they had the, the sort of classic, it reminded me of Kato's uniform on the Green Hornet. Yeah. Uh, you know, that very, that three button side, or, you know, that, that very classic button across the chest look and uh, goggles oh, and masks.
1: Very uh, Alex Toth. Mm-hmm. There you
2: go, yeah
1: no absolutely. question i mean that was that was the, that was like a very alex Toth kind of
2: mm-hmm.
3: moment just the yeah of those guys yeah and, and and to your point we've talked about, about it briefly that obviously we've already seen the ninja in this series so it wasn't just a bunch of guys in like skin tight black suits with ski masks on like the idea yeah. that they had like some tactical to their suits and the goggles and, and the weaponry and everything I thought was again just little, little extra flourishes that, that again sort of lets you know that this is a different type of foe than Batman's used to facing.
2: Yeah, And then of course we get the grand reveal at the end of Ra's al Ghul himself who uh, models very very similarly to that, uh, that classic look from the comics. Uh, did you have any say in the actual character model for, for, um, for, for Ra's? Yeah,
1: Bruce showed me a drawing and I went cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I, no, no, I can work with that
1: it's like that that actually that um I storyboarded that whole ending myself, and wow. i had the i again, I love drawing autogyros and things, and it's like and you'll notice that like Talia' is flying they're flying over it's it's the himalayas, sure, mm-hmm. right? so they're heading towards racial one of Rachel ghoul's lairs. Mm-hmm. and uh yeah that so that that whole thing that whole sequence was boarded by me and yes leading up to mysteriously we just see the lower half of his mouth mm-hmm. you know only the back of his head it was like and then when he turns around i'm like finally i'm drawing Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> well it
2: was, a, it was a great reveal i i think i think that scene too with him standing in front of the giant black and white screen and talia very animated drawn very beautifully uh, on this screen as she's talking to him and revealing her disappointment that this, that this weapon that they had. I also like the, the, actually the visualization of this weapon too. It, it kind of glowed uh, when they fired it up. And then of course you, you saw the ground sort of warp and then disappear underneath and start to crumble underneath of it. Uh, I love the visuals in this episode. Things I thought, I thought were laid out very, very well. Uh, so I'll go ahead and give my score. I, I went, out, went ahead and gave a visuals a perfect 10 out of 10. <laughs>
3: Good. And I, uh, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm a, at a 9 out of 10. The only thing I will note um, is that there are Batman's symbol on his chest is, and again, uh, we've already kind of gone into the inexperience and the still learning, but his symbol, like the, the shape and size of it changes. And then there's a few shots where there's just no bat on it. And it just has like a weird little yellow circle on his chest. And this is, of course, me being a, a nitpicker here. But I, I did yeah. a... I did notice, but that is kind of the point of the show. So
2: <laughs> yeah. uh,
3: that is one little um, thing that, that's...
1: I don't think I should give a grade. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you have to. You're part of the
1: team. Oh, that's right. my God. Because it's like, see, the thing is, um, well, I'll say this. I watched the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And the Blu-ray has the retakes in it. Really, Ooh. that I called. Whereas it went on the air, it went on the air with almost no retakes. Ooh, wow! And um, and I, I think even on the DVD, I think that many of the like Rachel Gould's lip sync and all that was off.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there was a lot of lip flap and stuff that mm. never got. I mean, I called the retakes and they just wouldn't do it. And <laughs> the thing about going to Jade when you called a retake for like a background to be done over. It means all of the cells get taken back out of the box and put back onto the platen, and they mm-hmm. shoot it again. And every time they do that, there's more and more dirt
4: uh... on the cells
1: because you know they because acetate. If you pick it up, watch just all the particles just start hitting it. Mm-hmm. So there's only so many retakes you could call before it just looks like they're in a snowstorm. <laughs> <laughs> But the on the Blu-ray, I noticed that like there is only a couple of retakes that are left that weren't called that I called that didn't make it. So hmm. you know, uh, uh, it's like with the retakes, I'll give it a you know a seven. All right, yeah, that's it's, fair. Just, it's just I this this should have gone to TMS. It should have just <laughs> there you go. Should have just been at the level of the demon's quest you know
4: mm-hmm.
1: you know there and i and i have my caveats about demon's quest too where, like things really bother me still bother me mm-hmm. but it's like again it's, it's it's not fair for me to uh grade animation <laughs> <laughs>
2: You know. Well, have an I, I'd say you—I'd say you have more of a fairness about it than we do as two people who don't animate things that also give it scores. So we take this with a grain of salt. And it's your—it's—it's it's also I understand it's hard when it's your vision for something when you have something a visual in your head or how something should go, and then yeah. it finally gets to that point because it's in somebody else's hands, and you're just like, Ugh,
1: it's not. Oh, oh like, no, there's there's things about this episode that I'd say mm-hmm. to you that'll make it impossible for you to watch it again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we appreciate you allowing us to enjoy this cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on, I guess, to our next category, which is going no, to be but
1: music. Jade, no, but Jade, I'll just, uh, just I'll say mm-hmm. Jade, when you understand what they're going through and how much effort they put in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I appreciate it. But it's still, right, sure. it's still a seven.
2: That's there a you fair go. Fair fair enough. <laughs> enough. Still a seven. Fair enough. All right, moving on to that next category, we are going to discuss our music for today's episode uh music is is uh another uh, piece that i enjoyed here i actually so this is one of those that they have released uh wb has released on soundtrack so you can listen to the tracks individually that benefited me a lot because i was able to go in listen wow. to the tracks and then compare some of the ones to that were played later on the demon's quest and i did notice there is a theme that is played here throughout the episode that uh liam you said michael question and who else was responsible for this
3: the other one is Mark Koval, or Koval, I might be mispronouncing that, I apologize if I am.
2: Yeah, they 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 sort of have a thread that goes through this, and then yeah. I was able to compare to the, the soundtrack for Demon's, uh, Demons Quest, and it, it plays very similarly there, so um, obviously, uh, I think Shirley Walker, at least on the soundtrack, is credited with doing some work on this as well. Uh, the late, great Shirley Walker, of course, is unmatched in her ability to just tell a story with with the, the soundtrack Liam what did you think of the soundtrack for this episode
3: yeah I think it's it's really solid I think we get the the at it always is does such a great job of adding to that atmosphere especially of the first scene on the statue where it's this very you know it's it's a lot of shadows and dark and Batman's meeting with this informant it's kind of this dark seedy environment and the music kind of builds and you hear the strings come in as we see the you know, the claws going into the statue climbing up the building and it's building that anticipation so when the action starts the music has been ramping up slowly and slowly and kind of comes to that pit that that peak when uh, when it's time for the action to start i think that's one of the things is knowing where to lay in but also not feeling like there has to be music constantly either uh, when when Batman shows up to battle Vertigo on the uh, on the docks, like he shows up and he says a couple of lines, and there's no music. It's not till he jumps down to fight Vertigo that the the Batman theme sort of kicks in, and the you know the action begins there with the music there. So I think not only the the way the way the music is used, but sometimes the way it wasn't used in this episode is is pretty impressive.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree wholly. I I think one of the things that I liked also, especially in the final scene when Vertigo uses his, uh, uses his, uh, you know, the disruption uh, power, the. Uh, music actually goes from a, a normal tone to sort of playing out of tune as if as things are sort of crumbling <laughs> and twisting, uh, which I thought was a nice nice way of you know of letting the the viewers at home know that oh uh, it's going awry things you know things aren't aren't the way they were just a second ago. things are off kilter here uh, so you know that the clearly the music playing to the the strength of the visuals here. Uh, Kevin, do you have any thoughts on the music for this episode?
1: No, it's like excellent it's
2: just. Yeah? Like- it's
1: like I, I just, uh, you know, you'd have meetings with Shirley and beforehand, and uh, yeah, I, it's just when it when music comes back, it's just so spot on. It's just crazy,
4: yeah. mm-hmm. you know. So,
1: I mean, I give it a ten. There's no question, you know. There you it's, go. It's like just about every episode, and this one, there's almost like when the uh, when the. the there's almost like a science fiction 50s science fiction kind of sound. Once mm-hmm. Vertigo's powers manifest, and I, I thought that was just awesome. But I don't. I almost detect a theremin in there. I don't think there is a theremin,
4: mm-hmm. but they
1: they did like a theremin kind of something with the strings. I have no idea, but it's yeah. all, it's just it's... an
3: awesome soundtrack.
2: Really, really, really good. Absolutely, uh, Liam. What's your score?
3: I uh, am in agreement with mr Al- mr. Altier here I also gave it a 10 out of 10 like I said not just for the memorable themes that we've talked about but again the ability to hold back when you're trying to build that anticipation yeah. and then really bringing that crescendo when you know when the action bits hit and uh, we, I, I never quite know when to throw this in but just the, the sound design in general of uh, the bells and everything going off at once and you know Talia grabs onto it and the first one goes and then Batman goes, yeah and grabs it and having that going you know combined with with vertigo kind of losing his mind and and the music kind of coming to that that dramatic point uh just all works really well together throughout this episode
2: perfect uh, i ended up giving it an 8 out of 10 i like the music and i like that it calls later on uh, in you know the demon's quest uh, you know that that episode specifically so there's a theme that runs through it it didn't have the impact maybe that uh you know some of the episodes maybe with the joker where there's like a recurring hummable theme for me um it's it's great i i agree Mm -hmm. with both of you the music itself is great it just probably didn't catch me as as much as some of those other episodes have so scored it a little bit lower on that one damn (laughs) (laughs) i know i thought
3: we were gonna get a three tens category that would i know I know.
2: We All right. Well, let's go to our final category of the day, and that is going to be our voice actors. We've already talked about a couple of them. Uh, Kevin mentioned a couple of voices. Uh, Liam, let's highlight our voice cast for this week and talk about our performances.
3: Yeah, we got a we got a, a pretty big cast here. We have our some of our main players like Bob Hastings as Commissioner Gordon. Briefly, we have uh, Robert Costanza as Harvey Bullock. Uh, Brock Peters returning as Lucius Fox. Uh, we also have uh, Chick Venera as uh, as Twitch, the, uh, the informant who would go on to play Ferret in Static Shock and uh, uh, another one of those actors that I think got quite a few little sort of smaller roles throughout the different uh, DC yeah. cartoons. Um, and I, I, I like his performance as well. But then, of course, our, our main players here, as we've talked about, Michael York as Vertigo, who, as we've already talked about, is someone that uh, Andre Armano kind of went back to quite a few times Very unique performances too, because uh, as as he does, he plays uh, like a Superman villain later on. But here he's doing this. uh, I I I thought this is like if a Indiana Jones villain was also a Batman villain. Like (laughs) very like he's got he doesn't go so far into like a stereotypical like German Nazi villain, but he does he does the German accent very well, and he has that sort of just sinister. There's a sinister, creepy undertone to every word he says in this episode.
1: Yeah. No, and and he's a, and it's also it's a great job mm-hmm. who originally was cast as Rachel Ghoul.
2: Ooh, fascinating. That, Did not know that.
1: Yeah, no, originally because that was um um Andrea Romano was asking me and Bruce um who do you see as Rachel Ghoul? And I said, well, it's got to be a classy British actor, you know, and mm-hmm. I was and I was listening to these books on tape of uh Colleen McCullough's, uh, the first man in Rome.
2: Okay. And,
1: um, some of them were doing, were three of four of them, I think were done by Michael York where where he would actually play all the characters. Wow. He was a Germanic soldier. He'd play him. And then he played Caesar. He's a great Caesar too, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So I was, so I said Michael York, you know, and, uh, Andrea said, he's in town. He lives here. I'll I'll get him. So she kind of contacted him. But then she came back to us and says, what do you think of David Warner? And
2: I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> said,
1: well, what do we what do we say to Michael York? He said, don't worry, he can be Count Vertigo.
2: There you go. And it and, and 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 does. Thus- good. And and he was actually cast several other times. It ended up being cast several other times in the series, too. I believe he was the foil in the Zatana episode, also. And yeah. another episode we just covered, he, uh, he did a voice on. So he had multiple roles. He wasn't just, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't even, he, he got three roles out of it. So yeah. perfect.
1: Michael York is like, he was asking, so who is this guy? You know, he's a count.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's like, yes, yeah, so where is he from? And I'd say, you know, it's like, well, you know, German. And so Michael York does it. And as you said, it's just a German accent. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: It's not like Nazi, you know, (laughs) it's just a German accent. It's kind of like um, one of the German actors from like uh, all through the night, you know, Mm
4: -hmm.
1: you know, it's like it's just there's just like that. There is just that's where he comes from and that's all there is to it, you know.
2: It, the sinister way that he gives his performance too though is i i he's the type of guy as you mentioned because he's cast as a couple different characters is i couldn't ever see him as anything but a villain in whatever he does he's just the tone to his voice is mm-hmm. ha, he has the the way of coming across as just something sinister in the tone that he uses uh such a talented individual
3: yeah then, yeah For
2: sure
3: yeah and then we have uh wrapping up our cast here uh uh, in addition to, of course, the great Kevin Conroy as Batman, we have Helen Slater, as mentioned, uh, as Talia, who folks might know from, uh, though don't hold this against her, but she was Supergirl in the live-action Supergirl movie of the 1980s, which <laughs> mm-hmm. I think if you were a kid during that era, you probably have a soft, soft spot for it, but it maybe doesn't hold up super well on a on a rewatch, but uh, she I does think- a fantastic job, Talia. Yeah.
1: No, it's like, I think she was right off of City Slickers with this one. Mm
4: -hmm. Okay.
1: You know, um, and just like an intro, it's like, again, Helen Slater is like, she just talking normal. She's like, uh, just talks like, you know, like, got, uh, I don't know, what would I call it, a Midwest accent? She -hmm. just like speaks, just speaks American, you know? (laughs) Um, But she was talking about Talia um, and the accent that she came up with you know this was like her trying a couple of things it's like how about this and Mm -hmm. she read this and i'm like i don't know where that accent is (laughs) from (laughs) it's like is she romanian or something no it's like it's not a slot it's not a russian accent it's not Mm -hmm. it's like it's a it's like she was she's been raised it's actually a perfect accent for someone who is raised by a world like a world-class Moriarty-level villain.
2: I've planted duplicate vertigo devices throughout the room to maintain the effect once I've departed. Goodbye and good luck. You're needed.
0: You okay?
4: My contact lenses. I lost them when we fell. They counter the distortion effect. Without them, I'm as helpless as you.
0: I don't do helpless. Come on, take my hand. I can get us through this. How? I trusted you. Now it's your turn. Mm-hmm.
1: She's been. I mean, I don't know where that. It's almost like it's an accent that belongs in a previous century.
2: <laughs> no. I had actually I written that. down. I was like, "Where is Talia from?" I was like, "Well, where's Raish from?" And I'm like, "Well, it's kind of indescript and not really like it's supposed to just be like generally like mid east could be like Western Europe, right? It could yep. be it could be any of that.
4: Mm-hmm. So it's it's well, just it's like the demon so her thing. accent
1: plays well, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Raish Al Ghul, he wasn't born Raish Al Ghul." that's Mm -hmm. a title that he earned centuries ago right you know and that's then that's what he goes by you know so yeah
2: i yeah yeah. her accent her accent being ambiguous i think you're right is perfect absolutely perfect for
1: this you know here's something that i just remembered it's Mm -hmm. like it's not that i ever forgot it Um, (laughs) we're at the recording right Mm -hmm. um and what happens andrea really did this um you would go through and they would go through the whole show. All of the actors are in the room together and they do the whole show like a radio play.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: And then as we're listening, we're taking our notes and Andrea of course is taking her notes. And then we reconvene and all the actors go out, take a break. It's like a big family thing, especially if you got a guy like Bob Hastings, Mm -hmm. by the way, one of the best lines Bob ever gave was like, one of these days I'm going to nail his feet." <laughs> <laughs> He's You know, it's such a, anyway. So the actors, Michael York and everyone, and I'm, I mean, I'm a big Three Musketeers fan, you know,
4: mm-hmm.
1: it's like Michael York's out there and I'm just, you, you can't even talk to the, this guy just cause <laughs> <laughs> Michael York it's Michael York, my God, cabaret, oh my God. What do you say to him, you know? Anyway, so I'm standing there and I hear, like, I think it was Chopin. There's a piano that's in the recording booth. It's a huge booth. So obviously they record music and everything in here, too. And there's I hear, like, Chopin. Helen Slater.
3: Oh, my gosh.
1: She was just sitting there. <laughs> I don't even think she wasn't even sitting down. She's just, oh, piano. And she's just playing while everyone's out of a place. She was just in there playing the piano because there's a piano. <laughs> and she's, I don't, she, she was good. She is beautiful. It's just. Wow. Yeah. Just Helen Slater playing a piano. I got to see.
4: It's that. <laughs> incredible.
1: Yeah. Well, no, it's just an aside. It's like, you know. The, yeah. It's like she's just on another another level of human being, you know.
3: <laughs> That's, That's really incredible. Cool. Yeah, and she and she's fantastic in this episode. And then, as we mentioned, wrapping up our cast, we of course have uh, the great David Warner, as Rachel Golda. You already mentioned that. You, once that name was brought up, you thought, well, that's, that's the perfect guy for him. And again, we only get a, a taste of it here. But again, I think he does a great job, again, letting you know it's like the let the games begin sort of uh, ending there to let you know that he'll, he'll be back.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's like just a few lines and
3: mm-hmm. it's
1: like, it's just dripping with menace.
4: You know, mm-hmm. it's like
1: how <laughs> yep. an actor can just get. Project that is like oh well, that's that's the difference between having a voice and actually being a actor with a voice you know
4: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, yeah no that that is he he's perfect, he's
4: mm-hmm. perfect.
2: yeah. He's really, really good. We, we talk about it a lot. But, you know, when we obviously since since his portrayal of Raish, there have been other uh, live action versions, both obviously in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies and then uh, on the TV series, the Arrow TV series. They had their version of Raish as well. But well, the, I think the I think the, the <laughs> biggest compliment you can pay to somebody is when you read a comic book you hear that character's voice when you read the comic book and I think that works exactly when I whenever I see race in a comic book that's the voice that I hear
1: yeah and uh, yeah and it's like well and the movies and the television show um, it's not racial Gould; it's some guy named Roz right? <laughs> like, Roz you mean
2: R-O-Z? <laughs> He's named Rosalind or Right. Yeah. Kevin is throwing all kinds of shade today. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> he is not afraid to throw in a little shade. <laughs>
1: By the way, Liam Neeson should have been the perfect racial ghoul. You know, it's like you he, correct. He's like, you know, he's but it's not ra that's not racial ghoul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean sorry, sorry everyone, but uh, that's just not racial ghoul to me. It's like this, this is racial ghoul.
2: Mm-hmm. well anybody listening to this this podcast i'm gonna guess is gonna agree with you because this is a dcau podcast not a uh, not a christopher nolan podcast so you're in good company you're in good company yeah, here.
3: totally agree totally agree but yeah that'll i guess can bring us to our scores for voice acting here i uh again another i have another 10 out of 10 for my voice acting score i just think everyone's so perfectly cast in this episode and we get the little nuggets like Letting us know that something something even bigger is coming down the road but yeah i think especially our uh, uh especially yeah, as helen slater as talia and setting her up as an equal to batman in many ways and her her voice performance providing that uh you know it's it's totally believable and you you totally buy her as that character from uh you know sort of right right away right when uh, right when she first starts speaking
2: I agree. Now, uh, I gave it a nine out of 10. I think everybody does a strong performance here. Um, you know, obviously this is, we mentioned, this is just the first taste of race. So, uh, you know, building that anticipation, I feel like robbed me of a, of a perfect score there. Cause I, now <laughs> I want to go out and watch, now I want to w- go watch the demons quest. So, uh, to get that's that, that, that full, full experience. I, that's right. Absolutely. That's uh, what, what about, all right. So Kevin, what about you voice acting final score? Oh, I-
1: I have to give him ten. You know, there, there we go. go. I mean, especially just 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 for the solo piano performance, I, <laughs> I, and just the fact that Helen Slater showed up, you know, and uh, David Warner and Michael York, you know, it's like my God, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 and, uh, and also, I mean, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. It's like just for that one sequence with Alfred, it's like it's just uh he's so good it's just it's so good he, he's like just got that slight sarcasm
4: you mm-hmm.
1: know <laughs> he's the only person that get away with it you know and he, he does
0: are you certain the lady in black was working with this vertigo chap had to be alfred he'd never have been able to escape if she hadn't shown up and she was the only one who wasn't affected by his weapon weapon sir that eyepiece of his i think it gives off some kind of radiation It must distort visual perception and sense of balance somehow, creating the illusion that everything around you is topsy-turvy. My word. Not that it matters. Nothing about that can give me any clues to his whereabouts. He mentioned returning to his base before the tolling of the hour, which suggests a clock tower or church bell, then fled west. Yet there's no such structure that could conceal a hideout not within 50 miles to the west. Might I suggest, Master Bruce, that you take a break? If you keep pushing yourself like this, you soon won't know your right hand from your left. Alfred, you're brilliant. Yeah, so I've heard. With my head turned around like that, I couldn't tell one direction from the other. They didn't escape to the west. They went east.
1: Alfred, you're brilliant.
0: <laughs> oh, <my God.
3: laughs> the way he like, looks at his hand while he's, like he's like brushing his yeah. knuckles on his shirt like that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm out like, <laughs> yeah. so good. Brilliant.
2: All right. Well, that will bring us to our final scores for today's episode. Uh, totaling up Kevin's scores. Uh, Kevin ended up with a 36 out of 40, which is very impressive. Uh, Liam, what about you?
3: Yeah, I'm a little bit higher than that. I have a 38 out of 40, which puts wow, this 30. in. Uh, yeah. This puts us in our top picks category.
2: Absolutely, and uh, I actually ended up with the same exact score as uh, as our as our special guest correspondent here, and I ended up at thirty six out of forty as well. So the last thing we'll do before uh, the last thing we do before uh, saying uh, sayonara to Kevin is we'll also talk about rewatchability here. So Kevin, we also talk about how is this on a review? If we're watching through the series, is this pivotal enough an episode where you have to watch it or that you would recommend it to somebody else now we already know that you said that there are some things that you could tell us that would discourage us from watching this ever again <laughs> so I know it's hard to take that hat off per se just, but just
1: just from the continuity standpoint you have to for sure it's absolutely, because it's like it introduces Talia who mm-hmm. is so and it's like in my world and the, the world that, you know, the Batman world, mm-hmm. Talia is so, so important to yeah. Bruce Wayne.
2: Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that when, in the future episodes, say in Avatar,
4: mm-hmm.
1: when Bruce Wayne goes to see Talia, to go and see, uh, to find out where where Ra's al Ghul is and what he's doing, and they go on the adventure together, when Bruce Wayne... Is with Talia and he's Bruce. His voice is Batman, Mm
4: -hmm.
1: that's his natural voice,
4: Mm -hmm.
1: and he can only be himself with her. It's not like that with anyone else.
4: There you go, excellent
1: point. He can be Bruce Wayne, they can get into fights together, and Bruce Wayne's just Bruce Wayne, you Mm -hmm. know, and they're you know, and they team up. And uh, Talia is just that, that is the love of his life. Um, and obviously,
2: I'm, it it obviously plays into other series as well. Rache, uh spoiler alert, shows up later on. Well, Talia shows up later on in Batman yeah. Beyond. So we know that this is certainly, as you said, just for the the continuity sake for what the impact is on the series, and of course introducing introducing Rache and the you know the uh, the Society of Shadows and all of that. Yeah, I, it, I'd say this is a you ha- this is a must watch if you're wa- rewatching this stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah great. You know, gotta, you gotta see it.
1: Mm -hmm. Perfect.
2: All right. Before before we say (laughs) adieu to our special correspondent, Kevin, today, we want to give you the opportunity. So Kevin, we actually uh, were contacted because we know that you have some, uh, you have some projects that you're working on uh, that Um, we would love to hear about and uh, hear what's coming up for you. Obviously, uh, hopefully, if there's ever the rumored and much demanded Batman Animated Series, you know reboot or you know a, another maybe HBO Max <laughs> series, you get the phone call. But uh, as far as we know, that hasn't happened yet, right? Uh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> so what yeah, are you? No. So what are you working on these days? Oh uh,
1: well, I mean uh, Killer Bowl, which is kind of a. It's written by Gary Wolf, who created Roger Rabbit. Um, really great science fiction script written by Gary um, and based on a novel that he wrote. And uh, it's, I've been, we're actually, we've actually attached actors to it. And Sam Humphrey has come on board to star in it. Um, who's, uh, if anyone knows him from The uh, the Greatest Showman.
4: Okay. Really yeah. good
1: guy. Yeah. yeah. He, and it's like, and he's going to, him being involved um, actually is now, that's i would say that it was originally a science fiction kind of a blade runner rollerball kind of future with this uh future sport that becomes deadlier and deadlier and uh and sam's character is kind of like the star of the movie and he goes through the evolution of basically goes from the evolution of being kind of a mercenary because he's He's, like, born with, like, these abilities and powers
4: mm-hmm.
1: that make him, like, super strong and agile. And he's uh, kind of the, what we call him, he's actually, like, a superhero. Mm-hmm. So even though it's not what I would call a superhero uh, feature film, it's, mm-hmm. kind, of, it's a, kind of a superhero science fiction action adventure um, with this character who goes from being basically using his powers as a mercenary to where through this sport where people are like watching him, he actually becomes the heroic character that he was always intended to be. And awesome. Yeah, and it's, and it's you know, we're, we're just, I'm just starting development on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, another one by Gary is uh, Ranger Raccoon, which Sam is also attached to, to star in sevda i think i can talk about her sevda levant costner is Mm -hmm. also attached to the film no and it's like yeah but it's like i'm i'm actually looking forward to doing like my uh my take on the future it's like you look at batman beyond and you look at the future Mm -hmm. that was predicted there and it's like oh no no this is this is going to be a much more cluttered (laughs) it's going to kind of reflect the society that we have now Mm -hmm. okay projecting what's going to be there in the future and that is actually what we're
3: doing with that film. So well, that's awesome. don't have giant flip cell phones
2: like they do in Batman Beyond. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> <Or> CDs.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we, uh, we will certainly keep an eye on it. This is, but we're so thankful that you were uh, willing to come on the program with us and uh, and willing to uh, and to break down this episode. Hopefully, maybe in the future, if we have another episode, well, we're going to cover all these episodes as we go through. So maybe in the future, if you uh, if you have fun, we'll have you back on. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you coming on today, Kevin. Yeah, Thanks. so well. much. Thanks. It was all fun. All right. Absolutely. Excellent. We love to hear that. Well, we appreciate it. Don't forget to check out Kevin on social media. We'll be plugging his stuff there. Liam, what an honor it was to have Kevin on with us here today, uh, talking about uh, learning about some behind the scenes, things we never knew about Batman, the animated series, and some, just some overall great insight on what turned out to be a really good episode that I don't know that we had in mind ahead of time to be in our top pick section.
3: For sure. For sure. It was uh, so exciting and, and fun getting just pick Kevin's brain and and learn some of the ins and outs. And uh, <laughs> that story about uh, that story about the, the uh, what they did in between uh, recording sessions is uh, it, that's a great one. That'll stick with me for a while. So. Can't thank him enough for for coming on and for being so on, uh, willing to you know be so honest and and open about the process and uh, you know the ups and downs of making any given episode. Uh, had a lot of fun talking to him and as always when we have a guest on, I uh, I feel like we learn a lot and certainly we did today with Kevin. So really can't thank him enough.
2: Absolutely. Uh, so what do you say, Liam? We've done a lot of Batman the Animated Series this month. We even had some overtime where we uh, took an extra week here so that we could get Kevin on the program to discuss uh, Off Balance. But uh, what do you say we turn the page and move to a different city for the remainder of December?
3: Yeah, let's uh, let's take a trip back to Dakota. And we are going to be wrapping up December with a few weeks of static shock reviews starting next week with a special double feature of the episodes Aftershock, which will be of course featuring the first appearance of hot streak as well as they're playing my song featuring the uh, recurring character and eventual he- hero uh, rubber band man. But of course he starts out as a bad guy. So we got a couple of big static villain debuts to talk about next week.
2: Can't wait to do that with you. It sure is going to be fun. Don't forget to check us out on social media at DCAU Review, Twitter, Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, Liam, we got some stats this week for our podcast. It was really awesome b- to be able to see all the listeners that uh, subscribe to us and listen to us all year long. So, a special shout out and a thank you to everybody that tunes in and listens to us. Uh, and listens to us talk about these thirty-year-old cartoons every week. It's uh, it's kind of humbling to see that people invest time in in this little program of ours. Uh, almost three years after we started it,
3: unquestionable. Like we said, we're we're just two two brothers, two nerdy brothers who would be spending our time talking about this stuff, whether we recorded it or not. And uh, the fact that uh, that a fair amount of people actually like to listen and and uh, as always we love love hearing your responses and your memories of these episodes that we're reviewing either on our instagram or on our twitter uh, you can find us at dca review on both of those sites so yeah it's been really cool to know that not only are we doing it and having fun doing it but that uh, some other people are enjoying it and enjoyed to uh, commiserate with us over their their own uh, memories of these these great cartoons that we've been watching
2: Absolutely, and we are excited to delve into some more static starting next week. But until then, I am Cal. And I'm Liam. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU Review.
3: Bye-bye.